So this morning, church, I got to tell you, so I'm just, (laughs) this is a tough morning for me. Amen. I don't know about you, but this is a, what a, this is a heavy morning, I think, for all of us. How do you just, how do you just preach a message after yesterday's news? And uh, I'm not going to be up here this morning. I'm not going to claim to be able to give you any answers. I, I don't know. I don't know the answers. There's more questions I have than answers. But I believe that we have a relationship with the God who is the answer. And um, this morning, just in, in light of this message, I got to tell you, like, we, we planned this series, God of Miracles, like months ago. Right? Like, we, we, we've had this in the works for months now. And uh, today of all days, we were actually planning on talking about, the, in this series, God of Miracles, the story of Jairus and his daughter. Um, which is pretty rough. Amen? So have grace with me. <laughs> I'm going to do my best. <laughs> but w- before we start, one of the things I want to encourage you is that when we are afraid, like it's okay that as humans we get afraid. And it's okay that we have doubts because so long as we don't run from God in those things and we run to God Amen. in those things. And so this morning, let's run to his word. Amen. Right? Let's not run from it. And before we read his word, there's two questions that really we have to ask ourselves, right? And the first is, is is God still the God of miracles? Right? And if the answer is yes, is God still the God of miracles? The next question is, does God still want to do a miracle in your life? And the answer to both these is yes. So if we're going to say yes to both those questions this morning, we're going to run in faith to God's word. We're not going to run in fear from God's word. So this morning, you have to bear with me. It's going to be rough. We love you. <laughs> Thanks. You know, C.S. Lewis said a quote. I was going to read this later. I'll just read it now. He said, if we find ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. I'm thankful that Jesus, Jesus called himself the truth, the way, and the life. We didn't call him that. That's the title he gave himself. I think that in our Western mentality and thinking, we go, we're raised to believe that if you have the ability to do something and change something, that it's your moral responsibility to do it. Because as humans, that's true. We're meant to be the body of Christ. That means we're his hands and we're his feet. And when we have the ability to love our neighbor as ourselves, we need to take that opportunity. We need to do it. But then in our human thinking, in our broken sinful world, we look at brokenness in the world and we understand that God is in control. We understand that God is powerful and big and we say to ourselves, God, if you haven't done it, are you no longer good? And we become to get afraid. And one of the things I I tell my students from time to time is that um, we can answer that question by looking... we can get a, we, it would be just, we would be justified in getting upset at God 
if, unless God came and experienced the same loss, heartache, and brokenness that we do. And in Jesus, we have a God who experienced the same heartache, brokenness, and loss that we do. In Jesus, we have a God who understands where we're at. And although we don't have answers as to why, in Jesus, we have a God we can trust. That he is the answer in all of our questioning. So we're going to just, uh, we're going to jump to Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to 43. And I, I'm gonna, not going to read all this. Um, I'm going to move around here a little bit. But this is the story of Jairus' daughter. And, and before I, I, just to preface this, we have to understand that Jesus, <laughs> his interaction all throughout Scripture is an archetype, not just of what Jesus did then, not just of what Jesus is doing today, but what Jesus is going to do in your and my life. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert real quick. Did you know that every person Jesus ever healed, raised from the dead, performed a miracle in, every single one of them in Scripture that Jesus did a miracle in, at some later point, died? That's just a reality. At some later point, every one of them passed away, right? So we're not looking at this because we're, we are expecting God to, to remove all grief and heartache and pain. We're looking at this as the archetype of what God is doing in each and every one of us and what God has waiting for us on the other side of our last breath. Amen? So I know this is intense. I know this is heavy this morning. <laughs> so we're just, we're in this together and I love you. Um, okay, Mark 5, verse 21 20, uh, to 43. Starting in verse 21. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him. And he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came. His name was Jairus. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, and she will be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed and pressed about him. Now again, I'm not, Pastor Nate's not crazy, okay? Like I said, we had planned this out a while ago. I read this this morning. Again, stick with me. Let's go, we're, we're, coming, to, we're coming to the Lord's word in faith, not in fear. Amen? All right, so verse 25, now a woman, uh, now a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years had suffered many things from many physicians, she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather she grew worse. And when she heard that Je uh, about Jesus, she came from behind him in the crowd, and she touched the hem of, a of his garment. And she said, if I can only touch the hem of his clothes, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood had dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And Jesus, uh, knowing that power had gone out of himself, turned around, and he said to the crowd, who touched my clothes. Other translations just say, who touched me? I just want to pause right here, right? This is one of those moments that there is just such a, it's a beautiful picture of God um, pausing everything he's doing. He's pausing his agenda to come and answer this woman's plea for help, right? This is, uh, what's cool is that this is the only point in scripture where Jesus is described as being touched and someone was healed. Every other time, Jesus is either speaking to somebody or touching somebody and then they're healed, this is somebody coming in faith to Jesus and experiencing healing that, that Jesus, <laughs> by Scripture, wasn't personally intending to create, right? 
that this is somebody coming and they are asserting themselves to Jesus, reaching onto him and grabbing onto him in faith for what they need. And for this woman, this is a, this is a beautiful miracle, right? We know that she is afraid. Um, Jesus praises her faith. But immediately after this moment is when Jairus gets the news that his daughter has passed away. Right? Immediately after this moment. And if, if you're looking at this from Jairus' perspective, I can only imagine the fear, the, the doubt, the, the, the anger, the pain that must have consumed that moment. Right? Because it was not supposed to work out this way. Jairus did everything right. Right? Jairus was, he, he, like, he followed the law at that time his entire life. He was a leader of the synagogues. He was the, the equivalent of like the local pastor. He did it all right. He came to Jesus. He was first in line. It wasn't supposed to go this way. This isn't how the story is supposed to go for Jairus. Right? Because he did it all right. He was doing it the right way. And then suddenly, it all falls apart. Mind you, this isn't what Jairus asked for, right? Jairus came to Jesus looking for healing, not this. Can I just tell you, I think it's okay that we, we look at God and we get scared. It's okay that we look at God and we get afraid. It is. It's okay that we, we say, I, I'm worried, or I'm nervous, or I, I have doubts. So long as we keep going to God with those. Right? Imagine, if, imagine how the story would play out if Jairus fled from Jesus in this moment. Jairus turned and stopped and didn't want Jesus to go any further, right? That's not how the story ends. The story doesn't end with Jairus' daughter passing away. Right? Jer uh, Jesus comes to Jairus' house. I'm jumping to verse 36 here. It says, as soon as Jesus... Um oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm jumping. Uh, I'm, I'm getting all out of my own place here. Okay. Uh, okay, so Jesus tells him not to be afraid. Uh, okay, yeah, jumping to uh, verse 38. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he saw a tumult, right? Uh, uh, a crowd of people who were weeping and wailing loudly. Now, hold on. This is not to say Jesus doesn't condemn these people for weeping and, and, and grieving, right? It says when he came and he saw them, he said, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but asleep. And it says they ridiculed him. Just for background, right? It, is, it was tradition in uh, the Middle East back then. It's even tradition in many places around the world today to hire professional mourners, right? They, they would hire professional mourners, people they would pay to, to, to come and, and grieve essentially on your behalf and interact with your guests at a funeral so that, that you didn't have to, right? It, was, it, was, it, it kind of made sense, especially if you're a grieving family. And so when Jesus comes in and he tells them, why do you make this commotion? The child's not dead, but asleep. They, they mock him and ridicule him. Obviously, these people are not in true mourning. Just so you know, if you're here this morning and you, you're finding in yourself grief or grieving or sorrow or sadness, Jesus is not condemning for those of us who weep and grieve. Pastor James said it perfectly earlier, we do mourn, but not as those who have no hope. Amen, right? It's not, Jesus is not opposed to grief. Jesus understands grief. 
Um, otherwise, Jesus wept wouldn't have been in the Bible. Amen. So he says to them, this child is not dead, but sleeping. It says that they mocked him. But follow along here, right? It says when he put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him, and he entered where the child was lying. Verse 41, then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl rose, walked. For she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that they shouldn't, nobody else should know it. And that the child should be given something to eat. This is, man, this is hard to read. But can I tell you, this morning, the power in that verse. You know, Jesus, when Mary and Martha, who had just lost Lazarus, Martha tells Jesus, if you had only been here, this wouldn't have happened. And so he challenges her. He says, do you believe that he will be resurrected? And she says, yes, on the last day, he'll be resurrected. Jesus' response, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Right? Jesus didn't say he can perform resurrection. Jesus didn't say that he can make life. Jesus said that he was the resurrection and the life. And I can only imagine what Charlotte's experience was when Jesus told her to leave the Because she's with, she's with the resurrection and life. Hallelujah. I have so many verses. We're not going to get to most of them. If you're following along in your notes, I just want to remind you this morning that Jesus was the God of miracles then, and he's still the God of miracles today. Jesus makes a point that we access that God of miracles by faith. Running to him in faith and not from him in fear. Point three there, true faith means that we trust God for his healing. Yes, we trust God for his breakthrough. As well as trusting God in the waiting and in the silence. I don't like that in part. <laughs> but that's the truth. We trust God when for breakthrough, we trust God for healing. We also trust God when we're waiting, and we trust God when it's silent. It also means that we trust God in life sometimes when the answer is no. You know, so many schools of thought have come out of reading the Bible. That there's, there's schools of thought that say that, no, 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 God no longer does healing. God no longer does um, miracles. That that part of, 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 of Jesus' ministry is over. We don't see that anymore. Right? And then there's, there's this side where we say, you know, absolutely, we see the, the, the God of miracles. He does do miracles. God performs miracles in our lives. Right? But there are also times where God's answer is, my grace is sufficient for you. Right? God does do miracles. And sometimes God's response is, my grace is sufficient. These are not two realities that exist separately. These are two realities that exist together. These are two truths that are real. 
God does do miracles. And sometimes we don't know why we didn't see the miracle the way we wanted. Right? Paul is a perfect example of this. You know, Paul, the, the Bible records in the book of Acts that Paul's shadow touched people and they were healed. Right? He, he would be working and he would wipe his brow with a, a, a cloth and they would take that cloth and bring it to sick people and they would immediately recover. And then Paul is talking about how there is a thorn in his flesh. There's something afflicting him. And it says, look what he says in, in 2 Corinthians 12, verses um, 8 to 10. He says, concerning this, this thing, I pled with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, he says, I most gladly will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmity and in reproach and need and persecution and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. Listen, I don't know about you, but the Lord has to be strong in me today. Amen. I don't know about you, but there have been plenty of times in life where I'm like, Lord, I don't have the strength. So I need you to be strong for me. Right? Thank God we have a God who understands what we go through, who understands our pain, our loss, and understands how to come and intervene in the moments when we say, God, I don't know why, right? That we have access to grace that is sufficient, right? The word says that we have peace that passes understanding. Do you know why it says that? Because there are times that we're not going to have understanding. Amen? So we're going to need to have peace. Thank God we have the Prince of Peace in those moments. The truth is, if we find in ourselves some level of offense, now I'm using that word offense not offensively, but I'm saying that if we find ourselves the level of I'm offended at God because he healed some and not others, right? Now that doesn't say we can, again, we can be angry with God, we can be hurt, we can question why, we can have doubts, but let's not find ourselves opposed to God, running from him, let's find ourselves running to him, right? If we find in ourselves an offense that Jesus sometimes healed some and not others, then we've placed the emphasis of Jesus' work on making life comfortable as opposed to making life eternal. Did you hear that? Jesus' ministry and his work was not about making life comfortable. It was about making life eternal. In fact, the promise is the exact opposite. <laughs> the promise to the believer is that we're, there's going to be equal parts of, of, of persecution and affliction as well as access to the miracle working God, right? These are two things. They exist together. We have access to the miracle working God. Yes, we are also, because we follow Jesus, going to endure hardship. Jesus said, in this world, you will have many troubles. He said, fear not, for I have overcome the world. The promise is that we will have many troubles. <laughs> in fact, if, if, if you've come to, if, you, if anybody's ever started their faith walk, believing that if I just accept Jesus, all the troubles go away, we have defrauded ourselves from the message of the gospel, Amen. right? Because this world is not our home, right. right? This world is not our place of belonging. Our home is in heaven. Our home is with the resurrection and the life, with the God who is greater than all these other things. We have to keep not just earth's perspective 
as we are looking for God for healing and for miracles, we have to keep heaven's perspective. Amen? Because from heaven's perspective, it all looks a little different. In fact, uh, I'm going to ask Gab if she could just come up here real quick. I, I, as we were just praying about this and talking about this, we were looking at um, uh, how, do we, how do we reconcile all these things? How do, we, how do we say, yes, God's the God of miracles, and yes, God's the God that's there when we don't see the miracle the way we prayed for it? Um, and uh, she had some awesome perspective when it talked about heaven's perspective. Uh, I, I'd just love for her to share. Go ahead. Hi, church family. Um, I wasn't going to share this today, but then Nate asked in the car, hey, can you share that thing? So I haven't practiced it, but God will speak through it, hopefully. And I have to be quick because of our time. I, I'll go into it more in second service, I guess. But, um, you know, we talk about heaven. And before even this weekend was this weekend, Nate knew he was going to talk about heaven because without that hope of salvation, that is the greatest miracle, right? I do think as Christians, sometimes we miss when we only talk about heaven after a loss. The Bible says, set your mind on things above. Set. Amen. Keep. Why does he do that? Not because this life is not a gift. It is. This life is a big gift. And that's why we mourn when there's tragedy, right? However, in comparison to the glory of heaven, it's incompar incomparable. But it's hard to visualize, right? Let's just be real. We haven't been there. None of us have been there in heaven. It's, and in this world of like movies and stuff, it's like, is that real? Is, is it just like a movie? Like, what is it, you know? And I heard my dad explain this kind of in this way. There's no way you can describe it perfectly, right? But just a visual that has stuck with me. There's so much more to it, but we have to keep it rudimentary. I'm going to ask you all. This might seem silly. Put your thumb out, okay? All right. I want you to find a place close by you and just simply place your thumb down, maybe on your pant leg or the chair in front of you, okay? I'm putting mine right here on the podium. And I want you to just think about the little space underneath your thumb. Trust me, I'm going somewhere with this. What's underneath your thumb? For me, it's a little couple centimeters of black, kind of a flat, somewhat cool surface. That's about it. You think about what's under yours. But now I want you to look around this room. I want you to look at the colors of people's shirts, the light, the noise of my voice, the friends you have in this room, the dreams you have, the fact that you're hungry for lunch in a little while, the goals that you have in life, the stories that we have in this room, shadows, feelings. You try to explain that if someone just lived underneath the piece that's under your thumb right now, they wouldn't be able to comprehend it, right? Because they only have such a little, little space. It's such a, it's a flawed analogy, but friends, you can remove your thumb. That is us versus heaven right now. We see through a glass dimly, the Bible says. Heaven is where God's glory dwells. And that that's waiting for us is the biggest miracle ever. That is our hope. Jesus is the resurrection and the life in him that we will never die, that Charlotte will live forever, that you and I will live forever, that people you've lost, people that I've lost suddenly, are in eternity with him. Doesn't make today easy, doesn't make now okay, but oh, it makes it secure. Think about those things. 
Think about the scriptures about heaven because it's beautiful and we can rely on him. I have to tell you, this has been a really hard morning for my husband because we knew what we were going to share on today. We know we don't have answers for you, but we know the one who is the answer, as you do too. And that's what we're going to invite you all to do today is simply lean into him. When you're in pain with whatever's going on in your own life or what we're going on as a church family, you lean into Jesus. You say, oh, Jesus, this hurts. And he says, I know. I'm holding you by the hand. You rise in me. That's all I wanted to share. So this morning, church, like I said, I know that we've had a, a weighty morning. But we're going to put heaven's perspective at the forefront of our minds. We're not going to get caught up in trying to run from God. We're going to get caught up in running to him. One of my favorite things, can I tell you, is when, when something's uncomfortable for Noah, he, he does this little, um, he does this little, little, little uncomfortable dance. You know, talking about, if you've ever had little kids, they do this little thing. And he's like, I'm uncomfortable. And he comes running to me with like this, like, huh? Ah. And it conveys in that moment without a single word, everything I need to know. That he needs me. And he's uncomfortable. Something's hurting him. It's okay that we can run to the Lord. And we don't have to have all the right words. And we can say, God, I don't, know, I don't, I'm just, I don't understand it. But we can run to our Heavenly Father. And the Bible, he, he, one of his names is literally Comforter. Can I tell you, he wouldn't have called himself Comforter if there wasn't going to be times we needed comfort. Right? It's very important that he calls us by those, he, he called himself by those names. So, hey, this morning, if you're able, would you just stand with me? We're just going to pray real simply this morning. And then if you need prayer for anything, there are folks here that would love to pray with you. And if you're grieving this morning, we would love to grieve with you. Let's go through this together. Part of being body, the body of Christ isn't just being the body of the Christ to those in need. It's being the body of Christ for each other as we're in need. Amen. So, Heavenly Father, this morning, there are no words. And we understand that, Lord, that sometimes there are no perfect answers. But, Lord, we know that you are the answer. And thank you that, Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. When the world looks and scoffs at, at the pain, Father, you, you're the new reality that is our resurrection, is our life. And so, Father, this morning, we just hold on to you afresh and anew. In a powerful way, God, we say that you are Lord over the situation. Father, we lift up the Scalises and the Hales, Father, and the surrounding families that, God, you would pour out your spirit and your power upon them. Father, for those who have friends and family members who are here that are in grief or in pain or in confusion, that, Father, you would have your mercy and your power upon us. And, God, we thank you that, Father, as life throws us curveballs, as, as, as your promise is that in life we will have many troubles, God, we declare afresh and anew this morning that, Jesus, you have overcome the world. And we put our faith afresh and anew in you this morning. In the name of Jesus.